It's the Gamecock Central Takeover Hour with Chris Clark, Wes Mitchell, and Tyler Head on your home of the Gamecocks, Columbia 107.5 The Game on 100.3 The Game in Myrtle Beach and 100.5 The Game in Florence. And welcome in. It is the Gamecock Central Takeover Hour presented by Firehouse Subs here on the game. Tyler West and Chris along with you on this Tuesday morning. And uh, West joining us now. And we'll jump back into the news that came out just about mm, 20 or 30 minutes ago. Uh, something that we all expected, but unfortunate nonetheless. Mo Kaba now out for the entire season with the knee injury he sustained after only taking the field for one snap on Saturday night. Yeah, you know, it, it felt inevitable with Beamer's comments on on Sunday, and you know, we had we had heard that was the case as well. But um, you know, now obviously confirmed by South Carolina, Mokaba out for the year. I um, I actually went back. Did, did y'all see? Did y'all see the play where he did it? No. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I went back, and um, I'm ninety nine percent sure. So he 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 played one snap on defense, but he was on the field on special teams. Right. Um, early in the game. And um, it looked like it happened covering a kick. Just a um, freak accident. Um, you know, you're running down there full speed. And um, it looked like he kind of, um, he almost kind of got clipped. Not clipped like the, the penalty. The penalty, but more just like from a literal standpoint when you're running and um, somebody almost kind of sideswipes you a little bit. Um, like, almost incidental contact it looked like and um, went down and the can you could only see it from like the, the camera was not focused on him you could only see it like in the corner of the screen and um, instantly kind of went to his knee uh, or, or reached to his knee I should say and then kind of hobbled off and at the time I, I think the announcers and the camera were, were focused on where the ball had gone I don't know if anybody even obviously noticed that I that it was something that serious. I didn't notice it watching, you know, in the stadium either. But to to what matters here, you just really, really hate it for Mo. Obviously, anybody who's a Gamecock fan already knows his story from last year. Week two, Arkansas, season ending injury. That was supposed to be his kind of coming out party where, you know, he was a starter now. I think we had probably predicted he would be South Carolina's leading tackler last season. So he was fighting back from that, was in the rotation, was playing on special teams, and um, uh, just uh, another freak thing there. That This now two years in a row, but also you know his third major knee injury in his career dating back to high school as well. So um, heart goes out to Mo. I know he's probably feeling it this week. Uh, you know, just from a mental standpoint, and hopefully there's a, and I know there's a lot in place for stuff like that, but hopefully his teammates are able to kind of put their arms around him and and be with him in this kind of tough situation. Yeah, and Chris brought this up in the last hour, and you just mentioned there with so many of those injuries now stacking up, it makes it harder to continue to come back. And he's listed as a redshirt junior this year, so he should have 
at least one more, possibly two more years of eligibility and count the COVID year or another medical redshirt there. So there is opportunity for him to come back. You just got to look at what the rehab process is going to be. And uh, as Chris brought up in the last hour, kind of evaluate what those options after football are and what kind of effect trying to come back once again can have. Yeah, and, uh, you know, it's probably way too early for him to even personally know where his head is at right now. Um, You know, his head is probably spinning, honestly, at this point. So we'll see how the recovery goes. We'll see where his head is at. He he should have, I mean, like you said, between injuries and COVID, I mean, he probably has multiple years left, honestly, if if he wants it. But, you know, I, I think whenever you start stacking these uh, these major injuries, it takes such a toll on both your body physically in terms of do you regain your athleticism, but but such a toll on your body mentally, just feeling like you're back out there, you know, marquee game, like you, you feel like, all right, this is this is what I'm here for. And then it gets taken away again very early in the game. You just uh you really hate it for Mo and the once again kind of first first part of the process, first step of what is really a, a long grueling process um, by all indications i've never been through it but um very grueling uh just situation there to come back from this once again and now west you're in a spot where gosh is this at least three years straight for south carolina where your linebacker depth has been hit immediately almost in the season i, th- I think game one or game two you know we we're talking last hour 2021 season you didn't feel great about the depth to start with. You had basically a, a three-man kind of platoon. of. You had Brad Johnson. You had Sherrod Green. You had Damani Staley. Sherrod Green goes down against Georgia. Now it's Brad and Damani, and they're basically playing the whole game, every game. You know, tr- uh, last season, Kaba had won a starting job. It was kind of Kaba, Sherrod Green, Brad Johnson. You lose Kaba. Now your top sub is is coming from the bench to starting and you don't have a lot of proven depth behind them. And so they're playing a whole bunch of snaps. So I think even losing with how unfortunate this was for, for Kaba and for the team, you know, that's going to have an impact on special teams for Pete Limbo because they were planning on having him be a big part of special teams this year. You had some questions there personnel wise, you know, defensively Kaba was going to be at worst at the minimum. He was going to kind of be a, a super sub for you. Um, and he could have been ended up being more than that. Now you've dipped into that depth already. So I, I think this amplifies the need to get Bam Scott back on the field, which I think we expect that Saturday probably, and to get Pup Howard ready. Um, it's even more important now, and also to stay healthy at that position. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's a spot where where we thought they had improved depth, and they they did, they do. But you're you're just you're dipping into that just right off the bat. And, you know, I, I think for for Kaba, it kind of, I, th- I thought it was a great situation for him, the way it lined up in that he, he at no point was forced back into action early. You know, they kind of let him go about it at his own pace, um, you know, at the proper pace. And they, they kind of had their two starters, but he was right there as a backup and was going to be able to kind of ease in and they were going to be able to monitor it and, you know, make sure he felt fine. And so it, it really set up well for him to maybe as the year went on to see his snaps go up. And, you know, I, I think obviously if a, if a guy had gotten 
if you know Stone or Debo had gotten banged up, you would have felt really good about, hey, we're plugging in what's pretty much a veteran at this point, a guy that's been around, and um, you know he, he's ready to roll and, and step in whenever that moment comes because you know you're going to have guys banged up at that position. And you know right now, again, you, you hate it for Mo, and certainly from a team standpoint, it, it is a major loss as well because um, you know th- this guy. He kind of had the skill set you're looking for in SEC linebacker. You know, 6'2", 253, could move, not undersized at all, and, uh, you know, kind of has prototypical traditional SEC linebacker size and um, just a a really, really big loss for for him and the team. Wes, let's let's shift from defense to offense because I, I was looking up some stuff statistically from game one. And I'm shoehorning this in here. So, you know, I've been, you've got your, some off-season crusades in the past. Mine is that I was going to continue to stand on the table about Xavier Leggett and his talent level and the fact that, and, and maybe I've said this one at least at least last year, maybe a couple years before that, Xavier Leggett breakout year. So, game one, nine catches for 178 yards. First of all, he's already surpassed his receiving yards total for any season in the past in one game. So he's never had more than 178 receiving yards in the season, which actually blew my mind. His nine catch mark is half of what he amassed the entirety of 2022. So here's my question to you, my hot take question. So Juice Wells, hopefully back on the field, maybe not for Furman. If I had to guess, Wes, Juice Wells is back for Georgia. That's my guess. We'll, we'll see what Shane Beamer says today. Could Xavier Leggett, based on what we saw in game one, could he be the leading receiver on this team? Hot take or no? Could, could he be? Yeah, I mean, he could be. I. Um, you seem to think maybe it's unlikely. No, I'm, I'm not saying it's unlikely at all. I'm just saying I. Um, I think I think he's about to have a massive season. Like that, our, our our eyes showed us that. Like I, you know, our eyes don't lie as far as what he did. I'm not ready to just, like, we watched Juice ball out all last year too. I, I think I think there's a sense in sports of, uh, hey, what did I just see? And, um, you know, all oh, that's going to happen over and over again. So let me react to what I just saw. I, I'm I'm not ready to say... I don't think Juice is going to give up that crown too That's likely. True. If you're if you're South Carolina, you're hopeful that you got both those guys out there making plays on the outside and that you can protect Rattler long enough for it to, to really matter. Honestly, I, I do think there's a there's a sense among the South Carolina fan base or among some in the South Carolina fan base to assume the worst. And I think there's some people assuming, well, all right, Juice is going to be plagued by this foot for for the majority of the year. I've seen that a lot. Yeah. Um, I think they took steps to try and keep that from being what happens. Um, so I, I think that's going to be a fun battle. I, I wouldn't put it past, based on what we saw Saturday, I'm not putting it past Leggett at all. Looked like, a, looked like a new man. Like I said yesterday, man, confidence is a heck of a drug. Um, I I wrote this yesterday. 
there were times where Leggett looked like the best player in the game. Oh, yeah. And you're talking about a game where you have the former number one high school quarterback in the country as a prospect, and you're talking about a game where you have pretty much consensus-wise the number two quarterback in the country as far as NFL draft project projections in Drake May. So that says a lot. And I think Xavier, you know, they'll they'll play some better DBs than they saw just from a one-on-one standpoint. But man, that there was just something. I, I just thought it was an interesting question to pose. Um, you, you'd probably still put your money on Juice Wells when he comes back, but I mean, last year Juice went over nine catches once. Once he had nine against Clemson, he had eleven against Tennessee, and it's it, it's not like Xavier Leggett did that against you know whoever mm-hmm. Eastern Illinois, right? Like he he did it against North Carolina against a Power Five team in the opener with even more emphasis put on him, right? Because Juice Wells was not on the field except for 19 snaps. So I thought he answered the bell, and he just looked he just looked different. It looked different. It looked more consistent, and he really put it together. Well, he's got quite a head start on Juice at this point yeah, as far does. as the numbers go. Yeah. So, And again, with Juice being questionable this week, Chris and I talked about this in the last hour. You imagine that he's probably going to get held out for this weekend, make sure he's as close to full health for... Uh, next weekend against Georgia, which is another opportunity this weekend for Xavier Leggett to be that number one guy. Yeah, it is. I mean, he'll he'll go over double digits for the season. I think probably the safest bet you could possibly make probably breaks into the 200. He'll, he'll be averaging 100 yards a game two weeks in, uh, 100 yards receiving per game two weeks in, I would say is a pretty safe bet. And uh, that's uh, that, that has created quite a number for Juice to, to chase if you're looking at it from a leading receiver standpoint. One other position group we didn't get a chance to talk about yesterday as we're focused so much on the offensive line was running backs. We'll talk about how they did on Saturday night and looking forward to what's next with them coming up on the Gamecock Central Takeover Hour presented by Firehouse Subs here on the game. <laughs> The Gamecock Central Takeover Hour with Chris Clark, Wes Mitchell, and Tyler Head on your home of the Gamecocks in Columbia, 107.5 The Game. Also heard on 100.3 The Game in Myrtle Beach and 100.5 The Game in Florence. Same formation out of the left side. Rattler back to work. First Touchdown. Oh, yeah. Touchdown, Carolina. Touchdown to carry on Joyner. He's done it a ton in his career from a lot of different spots. But he's the starting running back tonight on a four-yard touchdown run. The extra point to tie it up in Charlotte. Welcome back into the Gamecock Central Takeover Hour presented by Firehouse Subs. Tyler Weston, Chris, along with you. That was the call on the Gamecocks Radio Network on Saturday night. To carry on Joyner getting in the end zone for the first score of South Carolina's season. Uh, unfortunately, it wasn't too much more to write home about with the running backs after that. Uh, Juju McDowell did get the other touchdown a little bit later on. But, you know, when you talk about the struggles that South Carolina had on the offensive line, I don't care how good your running backs are, they're going to have a tough time getting yards when you can't block for them as well. Yeah, I think it's one of those situations where it is hard to judge that position because you do have so many different variables involved there and, you know, you look, like we said, at the, the number of missed blocks, the the lack of room to run. You know, I, I think if you look back, there were probably some opportunities there where, you know, if, if you can make 
a, a guy miss if you can um, you know I think there's a couple of like shoestring tackles from North Carolina that maybe could have gone for for bigger plays that that maybe we're having even a little different converse, conversation about the running backs I, I kind of look at that spot still as being incomplete. You know, I, I think, uh, you know, it's something we'll, we'll continue to watch as the year goes on. We also, uh, I made this point leading into the game, we got to remember as as long as he is, he being to carry on Joyner, as long as to carry on Joyner has been at South Carolina, this was still his first career start at running back. So, you know, I, I sort of made the point of, hey, he's going to need to settle in and there are going to be situations he's maybe never seen, certainly in a game situation for the first time. And it, he's going to need to have some time to get comfortable. And it's just really hard for him to get into any type of rhythm without there being much room to run. You know, if if he had come out there and there were some big holes and he could hit them and get to that second or third level and, you know, there's a little bit more room to kind of set up a a, a broken tackle, those things are different than when you're having to break a tackle when you first get the football either in the backfield or you first get the football on, on a pass to the flat too. So, you know, I, I again, I, I think you give the grade incomplete. I, um, I'd like to see as well some of the other backs get a shot to, to get into the rotation. But, I mean, I was thinking about this, you know, when I was going back over the game, Chris, because of the nature of the clock these days, how it's just a running clock, and then also the nature of South Carolina's offense, which was very much boom or bust. It was like, all right, they're either you're getting big explosive plays or it felt like you're, you're three and out or four and out. There really were not many plays in this game for South Carolina's offense. There weren't many opportunities to rotate other guys in. So at that point, you're, you're trying to do everything you can to get your, your starters, you know, Joiner and then of course Juju right behind him, trying to do everything you can to get those guys going. I don't know that there was much of an opportunity to to rotate other guys in because the game is moving fast, and then by the time you get into the third or fourth quarter, you're playing from behind. So that's maybe not the time to start throwing other guys in there if you felt like Joiner and McDowell were your two best. Yeah, quickly off that, only 70 total offensive snaps for South Carolina on Saturday. Yeah, per per PFF, it looks like Joyner got 51, Juju McDowell, 22 snaps. And so, you know, look, that that was a question that we had going into the game. We knew to carry on Joyner would be running back one. We knew that, um, you know, the the rotation, if there was going to be one from there, was going to depend on, you know, how is Joyner performing? How is McDowell performing? And what is the total number of offens- offensive snaps? South Carolina had run 90 plays. Would we have seen Mario Anderson? Probably so. I mean, that, that's possible. That's something that we've gotten today. Hey, how about Mario Anderson? What's his status? You know, and not a huge surprise we didn't see him given the circumstances because we knew that on Joyner was running back one and that Juju McDowell was, was behind him. Juju kind of almost forgotten a little bit at times and actually made some some nice plays I thought in the game but I'll go back to you know to the general point about the running room you know I think I gave the stat yesterday carry on joiner 23 rushing yards and he had 24 yards after contact so when you look at a, a stat like that that means your running back is getting hit very early now some guys who 
you know, are super, like a Marcus Lattimore. Wes, you brought this up yesterday when we were talking. Like, could Marcus Lattimore have, have done some damage in that game? Uh, probably. I don't want to discount him. <laughs> but, I mean. I'm not putting he, anything past him. I'm not putting him. anything past him because that was kind of his bag, right? But that, that was a difficult ask for any running back that was out there. Get, getting hit that early, that often, it's tough. I mean, it, it's very tough given what we saw up front. So, um, that's obviously, schematically, will, will there be some things that South Carolina tries differently going forward? Maybe so, but one thing that's for sure is is they're going to have to figure out just man-on-man, offensive line, moving people where they do not want to go. That's an area that certainly has to improve going forward, scheme notwithstanding. And you and I talked about this in the last hour, and no disrespect to Furman, because people have been getting on us about that, but you're going to most likely look better against Furman this weekend, but I don't know how much you can gleam and learn from that going ahead to taking on a team like Georgia the following week. Um, very very little, honestly. But can can you build confidence? Yes. Can you get reps for younger players? Yes. I I mean I dare say, I you you can you can get a lot better internally. Like you can develop a lot in the next two weeks. Will we learn a whole lot about you in the next two weeks? You know, if I'll say that if you struggle against Furman, then yes, we do learn a lot about you. If you take a huge, massive step forward, some people are going to roll their eyes when I say this, but let me just remind you back to Florida one week, Tennessee the next, as just the ex- perfect example that week to week things change in college football. If you somehow go to Georgia and and play a tight game, even if you don't win, if you play a tight game, then we will learn something. But if if it's the status quo, sort of the expectation, you beat up on Furman and then you get beat up by Georgia, then I don't really know that we learn a whole lot about this team. I, I go to that Mississippi State game not to wish away the season. There's a lot of season left. But go to that Mississippi State game, that's your next sort of hey, this is a, a tight toss-up. I don't care how many of you put that as a W on your, your schedule when it came out. That is a toss-up game all the way. It's at home, huge game, and that's the next time we really learn a ton. But I think this weekend you got to start to figure some things out internally. What what moves are you going to make it, at offensive tackle? I'm not a panic guy. I'm not a like, hey, you got to start changing up personnel most times. But most times, you didn't give up nine sacks. So this this is a little bit different than your, eh, you know, it wasn't as bad as we thought. There were some missed assignments. There were some missed, you know, there were some miscues here or there. I, I think you have to look at everything if you're this staff. A few silver linings to take away from the weekend, one of them being Spencer Rattler potentially turning some more heads from those in the NFL. We'll hit that coming up. You're listening to the Gamecock Central Takeover Hour presented by Firehouse Subs on the game. What you're talking about. Sponsored by Love Chevrolet. On your home of the Gamecocks in Columbia. 107.5 The Game. Also heard on 100.3 The Game in Myrtle Beach. And 100.5 The Game in Florence. Welcome back in. Gamecock Central Takeover Hour. 
Presented by Firehouse Subs, Tyler, Wes, and Chris with you on this Tuesday morning. Still looking back at South Carolina's matchup with the Tar Heels on Saturday night. And obviously it was rough in a lot of ways, but a few silver linings to take away from it. Uh, Jim Nagy, who is the director of the Reese's Senior Bowl and a former NFL scout, was on Andy Staples' On3 podcast yesterday talking about what he saw from Spencer Rattler from a pro prospect standpoint on Saturday night. And Rattler, to Rattler, in Rattler's defense, man, when you watch the tape, I mean, he had, he was sacked eight times. He could have been sacked 20 times. Um, he's got nice feel in the pocket. He got out of there a bunch. Um, he ripped it. Not only did he escape with like feel and, and quickness, like he ripped away from some sacks from some big guys. So he showed some strength in the pocket. And then he delivered some strikes under dress. Like there was a bunch. Spencer Rattler put a bunch of NFL throws on tape in that game that scouts are going to love. There, it's the it's the you know compromised pocket into tight windows. I mean, he was doing all that stuff. And he and he lost one of his best receivers, arguably his best receiver, Juice Wells. Yep. You know, in the I'm first playing. half, and he he, he kind of turned Xavier Leggett into an overnight star. Um, he he played his butt off the other night, so. So, no, man, I mean, it was a disappointing outcome for South Carolina fans. I'm sure they're bummed, but, uh, man, I thought he, he, I thought Spencer played great. The, the staff there at South Carolina all offseason was talking about what a, what a great offseason Spencer had, and uh, you could see it. There was a lot of growth from, from last year's tape. And considering the fact that Spencer was under fire the entire night with eight sacks, not, or nine sacks, not eight sacks, like he mentioned there, you know, not a bad result, all things considered, and, you know, going into last season when Spencer came here, everybody was, you know, talking about, okay, he's going to come to an SEC school for one year, ball out, and then go to the NFL. Obviously, that didn't happen. So, in a lot of ways, this is a rebound year for Spencer to get back in the good graces with a lot of pro scouts, and according to him, uh, looked pretty good doing it on Saturday night. Yeah, that's what my eyes saw, too. I, I thought Spencer was a warrior. I, I thought there were some throws there that um, absolutely, like when when he says NFL throws, you, you look at... um the, the out route to, to AB that, uh, you know, unfortunately was dropped on that fourth down. You look at uh, the throwback on kind of a, a little, they kind of rolled Spencer out one way and they had um, Leggett going across the field on the other. Some some other balls where he put the ball really on the money despite being hit or, you know, having somebody in his face. I, I thought if you're, if you're kind of a scout looking saying, can Rattler play in the NFL? Can he do the things we need him to do? This was a, a great display of that. I think I think whatever ESPN's QBR is is absolute trash <laughs> because it had Rattler way down the uh, the list there as far as SEC quarterbacks go. I don't know what all goes into that. It had Drake May higher uh, statistically than Rattler. I guess it heavily weights touchdowns. I assume, but I thought this was a phenomenal game for Rattler all things considered the only thing I disagree with him on there was that I'm I'm not ready to give Spence complete credit for making Leggett an overnight star that was uh that was hours and hours and hours of work um you know building up confidence and being 6'3 227 with 4'4 speed that resulted in Leggett becoming an overnight star that's one of those things where you only you only see the peak of the iceberg and you don't yep. see everything that was going on underneath it to get you to that to that spot like get a guy who has been through really honestly un, un 
like speakable things as far as in his personal life um, dealing with loss. And um, so I'm I'm not gonna I'm not gonna take away all the hard work that guy put into putting himself in a position to show out on Saturday night. I know that was a, a throwaway line from uh, from Nagy there, so not picking on him, but let's let's give Leggett the credit for for everything he did on Saturday. Yeah, and and credit to Spencer Rattler for throwing those balls, and they were well-placed, but but those were, here you go, X, go get this, right? And and Xavier made that play. That could have just fallen out of bounds, mm-hmm. right? Or, or just been incomplete, or the defender could have made a, a great play on it if Xavier Leggett wasn't so big and athletic and came down with those those footballs. Um, I'm, and I'm thinking specifically the two, you know, deeper balls down the sideline. So, yeah, I mean, I, I thought it was a fantastic Fantastic performance by Spencer. I thought he outplayed Drake May mainly because when you contextualize it, you know, maybe people forget this performance a little bit more because South Carolina lost the football game. But Drake May wasn't running for his life most Mm -hmm. of the game. You know, Drake May made two pretty big mistakes that Spencer Rattler didn't make. So, you know, you look at the, the biggest areas that the staff wanted Spencer to be able to improve on. And one of them was taking better care of the football. Now, that was an entire team thing. That was running backs with ball security. But Spencer, despite the amount of pressure he was under, literal pressure, people in his face, and also just game pressure, South Carolina playing from behind for the entire game, the the pressure that one could feel for, hey, you're matching up against Drake May. This is big-time quarterback versus big-time quarterback. He answered that call because he didn't look phased by it at any point, I didn't think. Um, he, look, he looked in control. He made a lot of plays despite that pressure. And I think the big thing was he kept – the reason that South Carolina was still in that game despite how weird it was, despite how poorly they played, is because Rattler was a huge part of ensuring they didn't make any big mistakes. Yeah. What, in spite of all that pressure – he didn't make poor throws or poor decisions. He he only missed. I think he was. I think the team had per PFF four drops. He missed very very few throws in that game. Mm-hmm. No no turnover worthy plays either, according yep. to PFF. Which I I think turnover worthy plays as much as I you know don't always agree with PFF. Turnover worthy plays is a much better indication of how well a quarterback played in that context than than actual turnovers are in my opinion you look at I mean look look at the game last night with uh, with Clemson and Duke I, I thought you know it, it did end up hurting Clemson but I thought there were several plays where the ball was in danger where they were playing with fire even before the uh, you know the turnovers did start to to pile up and, and really hurt them so you know I, I thought Rattler did not not only did he not turn the ball over he didn't even put the ball necessarily in danger of being turned over and generally when you're getting hit the way he is and you have guys all around you he uh you know he he actually got out of some potential sacks and uh, all those things were were great to see now if you're carolina you're just saying can can we give this guy any time to operate because it's not going to take perfect offensive line play but it's going to take more than what we saw on Saturday. And given the struggles that they did have on the offensive line, we obviously didn't get to see a ton of what Dow Loggins could do as a play caller because you had to make up for that inefficiency there. But 
given that Spencer Rattler played well, given the circumstances, that at least shows some degree of comfortability in what this offense is so far. Yeah, I mean, I, I think I think it's hard to judge an OC on one game regardless, but certainly with all the things we're talking about, I, I kind of put it as incomplete. You know, I'm sure every OC looks back and says, man, I wish I had this call back, that call back. I thought there were some, some good calls as well. I also, frankly, I felt like Loggins anticipated that there were going to be issues running the ball inside. I think that's why they threw quick balls to the outside to, to start the game. They tried to be hard-headed in the run just to try to keep some threat of the running game going. That That's when the fans around me were rolling their eyes. Why do they keep running the ball? Why do they keep running the ball? It's you, I promise you they know they have not run the ball well. They're well aware of that, but they're trying to be somewhat hard-headed to not completely abandon it, right? Um, now, if you're logging, you can go back to the drawing board. You can adjust. what I, I think the real question, there, there's, no, there's no replacement for just straight up being able to block somebody, right? The real question, though, is what can you do when you go back to the drawing board and say, is there anything we can do schematically, whether it's chipping to help the offensive tackles, more screens, more draws, more keepers for Spencer? I know they don't want to do that in theory, but maybe you have to. And... Um, you know what? What is the what's the next chess move? If you're Dow Loggins, is what I'm far more interested in than what we saw this past week. All right, we will come back, wrap up today's edition of the Gamecock Central Takeover Hour, presented by Firehouse Subs. Coach Beamer is speaking later on this afternoon. Of course, that is uh, brought to you by Pete Alewine at Pools and Spas, and we'll have that press conference for you at one thirty during the halftime show with Terry. We'll look ahead to that and get Wes's thoughts on what happened to Clemson last night. You're listening to the Gamecock Central Takeover Hour presented by Firehouse Subs here on The Game. It's the Gamecock Central Takeover Hour with Chris Clark, Wes Mitchell, and Tyler Head on your home of the Gamecocks in Columbia, 107.5 The Game. Also heard on 100.3 The Game in Myrtle Beach and 100.5 The Game in Florence. Welcome back in. Gabecock Central Takeover Hour presented by Firehouse Subs here on the game. Tyler, Wes, and Chris. As called last night on ESPN, one of many mistakes Clemson made last night against Duke with uh, uh, um, uh, Maffa fumbling that ball from the four-yard line. Jalen Stinson of Duke returning it to the other side of the field, and Duke would go on to score a touchdown, leading to a 28-7 victory. And uh, Clemson, Garrett, first uh, game under Garrett Riley's new offense, didn't look like the Clemson we've seen over these past couple of years. Well, didn't you hear this is not Garrett Riley's offense? This is the Clemson offense. Apparently this so. Is Garrett Riley. This is Garrett Riley. I'm sure he does now. <laughs> this is Garrett Riley running the Clemson offense, y'all. Um, I mean, this is not some hot take. This is not some, you know, idea I came up with. But the the, the lack of hitting transfer portal, the number of scholarships given out to, um, you know, kind of the, the friends of family you got you to gotta give them out to those guys that got a lot of heart and a lot of grit, right? The friends and family discount. Yes. It, it's catching college. up to them. 
it 100% is catching up to them. And But, hey, I, I don't even want to make this about Clemson. Shout out Duke, man. Like, those guys were playing with some swagger. Like, they look, they believed they were going to win that they, game. They looked like the better team the entire game. They really the did. Part. And, um, you know, we, we could talk about Clemson's mistakes. Duke had mistakes as well. It's sure. not like Clemson gave them the game. Duke had a um, had a, a fumble on a punt that mm-hmm. uh, they really shouldn't have uh, even fielded, I think. And it was just, uh, you know, silly game one error uh, by a veteran guy. Like, you know, people make mistakes. So I, I think you look at this game, but how, man, I felt like, and I hate to be this guy, they were talking about, even after the huge Clemson fumble, return back, the, the comment is about, man, Cade Klubnick uh, did a fantastic job of tracking that guy down and tackling him. I'm like, guys, let's talk about how Duke is out here beating Clemson. And this is not really, did not feel like a fluke to me. I know it was a weird game, but hey, it's a week one. You're going to have turnovers. You're going to have weird stuff happen. And Duke took full advantage. I thought Duke um, up front looked, um, you know, like they could handle Clemson, they they didn't get overwhelmed. I thought Duke's running back was fantastic. And, I mean, there's an argument to be made that Duke had the better quarterback in this game. saw a stat that I think that was the first points that Clemson had given up on the opening drive of the season, either under Dabo or in a number of years. So Duke, of course, got field goal, you know, very first drive of the game. And I, I think that's a great point you made, Wes. This was not a fluky game because if you just look at just if you just watch the game, they matched up well on the lines of scrimmage. Duke's quarterback played better than Clemson's quarterback. Their receivers played better. Their running back was certainly up to par. Um and and the fact that Duke had mistakes. Like if Clemson had just made all those mistakes and Duke had just you know, been stymied on several drives. Okay, but they had the punt. That was the only time Clemson actually did score was after Duke gifted them the ball there on that punt. They had some penalties. I mean, I was telling Tyler earlier, I think there were two or three drives where they had a third and two that then became a third and seven, right, or something like that. So Duke did not play a perfect game. In fact, I, I was watching the game going through it saying, man, Duke, has outplayed Clemson, but for this mistake and for this mistake. And so the the concern for them became, you know, would those end up biting them? And they didn't. They ended up making enough plays, and Clemson obviously had their share of mistakes too, big ones. And this certainly isn't a Duke team that, you know, won three games last year. They had a solid season, nine wins, and Coach Elko, obviously certainly a good coach. So it's not like an utter shock that they were able to beat Clemson, but the manner in, in which they did it I think is what surprised most people. I feel like for a number of years, if you watched a team that had a shot even to upset Clemson, like, let's not even say they do it. They just had a chance. Like, I remember watching games that were closer than they should have been, and you kind of felt like the other team was just holding on for dear life. Like, mm-hmm. okay, we've, we've, um, we've lucked out to this point. Um, you know, Clemson just looks a little bit off. But you were always waiting because you knew they had such good athletes on offense Mm -hmm. and they had, I mean, athletes across the board on defense, but just that their defensive line, you always felt like their pass rush was going to make a play to to change the game. And you knew Venables was going to just keep 
firing at you. Like he was going to keep blitzing. He was going to be aggressive. And you were, I felt like you were just waiting on Clemson to score 21 unanswered and put the game away. This, to me, I know it's one game, but this did not feel like the Clemson that just has that overwhelming talent where you were just waiting on them to take over. It felt just much more like two relatively evenly matched talented teams going at it in a game that could go either way as opposed to a game where you're just hoping, you know, if you're playing Clemson, you're hoping this is your one of ten times because they're going to beat you the other nine. Yeah, they're starting to lose that benefit of the doubt that they've had for so many years. Like you said, they just have better athletes at so many of the different positions that they're going to overcome whatever you know deficit they have late in the game. And particularly when it comes to wide receiver, Tony Williams is, is a fine wide receiver, but he's a far cry from T. Higgins, Justin Ross, going back several years, Sammy Watkins, this litany of amazing receivers they've had come through Clemson. You shouldn't really have that guy right now. Yeah, and I mean, I think in a lot of spots that's across the board. Like I, uh, it just doesn't feel like they. I feel like the other Clemson teams would just overwhelm you. Eventually, this does not feel like they're in a position to overwhelm you. And the 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 absolute obvious to this too is it just shows you how far having two generational quarterbacks back to back. And I I'm not going as far as to say those guys were everything, right? Like that's. That's going a little too far. That takes away from the guys they had around them. But certainly, when you have generational quarterbacks, that makes all the difference in the world for your offensive play caller. And, frankly, other kids want to play with those guys, too. So it just makes it makes your life so much easier if you had a Deshaun Watson or a Trevor Lawrence. And right now, it, uh, it, it does not appear that Clemson has that. Although, DJU looked pretty good for, for Oregon State. Well, it's, it's the defense, too. They still have a lot of good players on defense. But they had, I mean, they were absolutely loaded. I mean, they were absolutely dominant on defense at times. And Brent Venables was quite good yes. at, at Clemson with, with just what he brought. So no, no offense to Wes Goodwin, their D.C., or, or any of the guys there that actually play for them. They're, they're still a really good defense, I think. Right. But they're, they're not quite what they were. Also, guys, Mike Elko, next big job candidate, I think. If he has another so. good year, watch the hot seats at some other schools. He's going to be in the mix. Halftime show with Terry coming up next. And again, Coach Beamer speaking at 1.30 for his weekly press conference. It's going to be brought to you by Pete Alewine Pools and Spas. We'll have it for you right here on the game.